Hello everybody and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast, volume 6, issue 261. It's The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. You can play along with us in volume 6 and we have an entire schedule running up until the end of the year and issue 300. You can find that and lots of other stuff at canarince.com. But if you're interested in playing along with the next few podcasts, you might want to dig out the following games. Project Gotham Racing and Project Gotham Racing 2, one or both. We'll be covering both. After that, it's the much requested Gone Home. Then we return to the Uncharted series with Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. After that, it's Diablo 3 and Reaper of Souls, and I imagine there'll be a little discussion about Diablo's predecessors, Diablo 3's predecessors. And after that, it's a challenge for the team, and I'm not involved in this one because I've never beaten this game, but we're going to talk all about Ninja Gaiden and uh, Ninja Gaiden Black, Ninja Gaiden Sigma, Ninja Gaiden Sigma Plus, uh, and that is, yeah, the Xbox and so on game rather than the original Ninja Gaiden. There may be mention of those as well. Anyway, head to canorince.com. As I always tell you, there is other stuff there sporadically, sometimes frequently, depends on what's going on in the world. But we have articles, features, reviews. We have a very friendly and busy forum. Uh, we have a Facebook page, of course, and a YouTube channel. And if you enjoy all this stuff that we do, uh, there are a number of ways in which you can support us. You can like and subscribe and all that stuff, review and rate us on iTunes in particular, but wherever else you get your podcast from. You could buy a t-shirt or a bag at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse. Uh, very cool gear. Uh, quality t-shirts, I can attest to that. Uh, I haven't had my hands on a bag, but uh, some of our listeners have bought them and tell us that they're they're damn fine too uh, but also we have a patreon.com these days patreon.com uh, slash cane and rinse and you can donate whatever you think a dollar a month or more is even better uh, to contribute towards uh, us doing what we do and everything gets plowed back into making all these podcasts which also includes our weekly music podcast video games music that is of course it's cane and rinse we are all about video games uh, and that one's called sound of play uh, and yeah as i say just if nothing else tell your friends uh, tell other people who you think might enjoy what we do about it thank you for listening to that and now joining me leon cox in issue 261 are james carter hello missed off the show notes because you are a late replacement for the uh, the poorly sinusitis struck Carl Moon, uh, who I will get this in at the top of the show. He's very sad because uh, he loves uh, A Link Between Worlds. It's his favourite Zelda. I promised him I'd say that. So there you go, Carl. Uh, James is, uh, of course, an able substitute. And we also have Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And naturally returning the always Triforce tattooed one. It's never coming off. No, I, I, I think those I think those kind of stay where they are, if yeah, I'm understanding this thing. correctly. That's the thing about them. And I follow a, uh, a Twitter feed, uh, which is called, uh, well, let's call it uh, for politeness sake, because we like people to be able to listen to this in the car with their kids. Uh, we'll call it rubbish tattoos <laughs> uh, and uh, there's some enjoyable uh, horror shows there. Uh, but not not your Triforce. You could never regret a Triforce. I don't. Good. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Triforce, the original Japanese title of this Japanese game is The Legend of Zelda Triforce of the Gods 2. 
thereby making it a direct sequel to The Legend of Zelda Triforce of the Gods. And if you've been listening carefully to our long-running now series of Zelda podcasts, our third one was all about the first game, which is uh, always known in the West as A Link to the Past. They decided not to call this The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past 2. In the West, they decided to call it A Link Between Worlds for reasons best known to themselves i i mean i i don't suppose it really matters i don't think it would have affected sales in the slightest calling it one thing or the other technically you're not time traveling technically yeah, yeah. true yeah the, the game will make more rule. sense for this that's game true. i guess but that's true that's a good point maybe that is what it is yeah i mean they could well, they could have it, called they it could it, have uh, called it yeah but they could have called it a, a link to the past, the remake, and you know that that maybe that I don't too, know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> they could have called it HD remaster. Or <laughs> they could have al- almost HD. Uh, yeah, so James is right, of course. Um, when you're when you're traveling between the light and dark worlds in a link to the past, you are time traveling, whereas in this game, you are merely dimension hopping. I think is that right? Something like that. You're going less, to yeah. you're going to another land uh, or another ver- version of Hyrule called Low Rule. Uh, some of the things have been either renamed from A Link to the Past or actually restored to their original Japanese names that were changed for localization or sensitivity purposes in the first game. It's a confusing business. Anyway, this was, of course, by Nintendo EAD and published by Nintendo. However, the director is uh, Hiramasa Shikata, who uh, had previously worked on Ocarina of Time as a level designer, a field designer on Majora's Mask, and map designer on uh, Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, also Pikmin and the Master Quest, uh, and kind of moved up the ranks through the Zeldas to the point that he was director of this uh, the one that we're talking about, but also Triforce Heroes uh, that was less well re- received to the point that we didn't even do a podcast on it. Uh, the music, which we'll talk about, lots of original tunes by uh, Ryo Nagamatsu, who is a Nintendo composer whose work consists entirely of Nintendo games, including We Play, Brain Academy, uh, Big Brain Academy, Wii Degree, uh, Mario Kart Wii, Wii Sports Resort, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, Super Mario Galaxy 2, and then uh, Nintendo Land on the Wii U and A Link Between Worlds. And he also, in this game, took a number of Koji Kondo's tunes from previous games. I think it's all Koji Kondo tunes. I'm not sure if any of the tunes that he picked up for reworking in this game were by any of the other composers, but uh, uh, you'll recognise some of the tunes, particularly from A Link to the Past, but there's also some stuff from Ocarina in there. And the game came out in November, December 2013 and reviewed solidly well. Probably the best for a handheld game since Minish Cap. Um, I think it reviewed better overall than either of the DS games with an average of 90.55% from 55 reviews. User ratings. Well, I looked on Nintendo Life where it's, you know, it's a very happy uh, Nintendo loving over there. But <laughs> I'm yeah, unbiased reviews that you can always take a point off if you're not uh, a fanboy. Um, but I really like that that set of sites. They're all yeah. they're all linked together anyway um, with Push Square and all, and all that. But um, the Nintendo fans over at Nintendo Life rate uh, A Link Between Worlds at nine point two, and the game sold. I don't know if this is only physical, but uh, we have three point one nine million copies according to VG Charts. 
it was available it is available as a download as well um has it come do we know to the uh, nintendo selects range yet is it now 18 pounds rather than 40 pounds or whatever I it is i don't believe so but i that uh, that's not really based on solid facts so take that we with don't a grain know because we all we all got it nearer the time so mm. Uh, this is a much shorter game than a lot of the other games we've covered in this series. Maybe not the shortest, but if you blaze through it, you can get it all done in about 16 hours. I think my first playthrough was about 19 hours. And uh, if you do, if you try to do everything, it probably you're still only looking at maybe 23 hours, according to how long to beat. Uh, I've been replaying it on hero mode and everything takes a bit longer. I'm going to talk about that later however as always it is of course possible to do this game in insanely fast times if you know what you're doing maybe with a few glitches and a lot of practice and optimization it's possible to complete this game uh, any percent that is not doing everything in one hour and 21 minutes and 30 seconds uh, that was done last year by somebody called bunny by in the u.s the current 100% world record holder is a Brazilian known as Romulo STX with a 100% time of 3 hours, 7 minutes and 23 seconds. So get cracking if you want to uh, time attack <laughs> Link Between Worlds. You've got your work cut out. Leah, did you buy this game the second it hit the store shelves digitally or physically back in 2013? I definitely did, yes. Uh, I went physical. I, I think that uh, you're talking about how um, the, the numbers that we have are, are mostly physical. I think that that's probably going to be the bulk of the sales for that because I don't know that hmm. digital sales at that time were quite what they are now. Um, and I'm sure that there was a significant chunk, but um, I know that I personally was not buying a whole lot of digital uh, digital games yet. Uh, but yes, I did buy a physical copy of this. I had only just played, um, and I, I think that I mentioned this way back in the, uh, in the Link to the Past podcast, but I had only just played Link to the Past the year before that. So, and I think right. it was probably uh, in in some kind of preparation for this coming out. I'm not sure exactly how far ahead of time it was announced, but uh, I'm sure mm. that when I did play it, there was probably at least rumblings about it, if nothing else. Um, and um, I had played that in advance, and I'm really glad that I did, um, because I, I'm sure we're going to talk uh, in, in some detail about the uh, the similarities and the, the callbacks between the two. Yeah. But I, uh, I, by that time, had... Um, had played a significant number of Zelda games and um, I don't I don't think I had my tattoo by that point I think that was shortly after but um, inspired by yeah possibly it was either right before or right after I, I don't I don't remember because I'm, I'm I'm getting old but um, it uh, it was a day one purchase for me and uh, I think that I played it pretty much straight through um, I didn't do necessarily everything. Well, actually, I may have done pretty close to everything. I do remember hunting down um, the little the little octopi, the the mai mai. Um, but um, I think that I was probably towards the upper end of that um, yeah. of that spectrum the first time around. Uh, this time, I haven't gotten quite through an entire playthrough yet um, because Final Fantasy has eaten my soul. But um, yeah. oh, yes, but um, but I have played a, a bit to refresh myself and. Um, still the 3ds uh version um i don't i don't know if the 2ds version would have i i don't believe that i played much with the 3d on um no. so it I, i'm sure that 2d 
3DS would have been fine as well, but I don't have one of those. Yeah. So yes, both times around 3DS uh, and very early on. Mm. Josh, how about you? I got this as a Christmas present, which was Yay. a great little. It's it's kind of the perfect little Christmas gift because mm. you don't you don't hog the TV with your you know home console game. <laughs> you can just quietly <laughs> sit there in the corner while everyone's chatting and play a, a little charming Zelda game. And uh, yeah, I, I I I did have a lot of fun with this. Um, it important context for this is um, I hadn't finished. Uh, a link to the past before completing this. Um, so my impressions are based purely uh, from someone coming to this with no baggage whatsoever from the from the game that this is clearly a sequel to. Okay. Um, and yeah, um, I, I mean, I I wasn't obviously because I got it for Christmas. I wasn't so excited that I wanted to uh, get it day one. Um, I saw the reviews and. Um, and all the conversation about it being like a really, really strong entry into the series, and um, I think um, I think it was Midnight Resistance. Andy and Sean was uh, talking about it a lot as well, so I was mm. very aware that it was going to be. It was a game that, at, by the point I had got round to playing it, it was you know held in pretty high regard. Um, but previous to this, I, I I'd only really dabbled with two D Zelda's, and really my um, my uh, you know my my primary interest was in the 3D Zeldas, so this was the the first 2D Zelda um, I finished and completed. Right, and you've since played a link to the past, right? Yeah. So that's an interesting conversation that I want to have about recommending the order in which to play things and and that sort of thing. And James, Christmas or prior? Uh, or? Christmas. Fit, oh, nice. Fittingly, um, yes. fittingly, some twenty years after receiving, maybe not quite exactly twenty years, but <laughs> near enough uh, yeah. after receiving a link to the past as a Christmas present. That being the only Zelda game prior to this one that I had played any reasonable amount of. Um, uh, that was a Christmas game for me as well. So this was uh, obviously now three and a quarter years ago. Um, this was a Christmas present then, and uh, by, so once we got back from visiting family for Christmas, uh, I have accurate records telling me I started playing this on the 29th and finished on the 4th of January. Um, so you yeah, waited four in, days to even put it in the machine. Four days to even put it in the machine. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know I was getting up. it for Christmas, so I didn't take it with me to fam- take the 3DS with me to family. So um, fail. So, Epic yeah. fail. Always taking four days and a whole month after it was actually released. But uh, but no, nice to get it for Christmas. Uh, a present from my brother, which was yes. uh, very pleasant. That's very sweet. And um, you, because we only uh, discovered latterly that you were going to be on the show, you haven't mm. had time for a, for a replay. No, I've done some refreshing uh, on YouTube today, but obviously remember the game. And uh, probably worth saying that uh, I played Link to the Past as I say, like 94, somewhere around there probably. Um, And uh, hadn't touched it since until it came out on Wii Virtual Console. Um, Mm. Not massively long before uh, this came out. So it was December 2013 I was playing Link to the Past on uh, on Wii U and refreshing on that and then rolling straight into into this one. Um, And aside from about an hour of Ocarina of Time and the 
hundred hours I've played <laughs> Breath of the Wild now. Uh, that's my entire Zelda experience. So um, feel free to to judge whether that, that warrants my opinion any uh, weight whatsoever. It, of course it does. Uh, the, the thing that we always stress about this podcast is that uh, although we, we, we go into detail about the context, every opinion mm. is, is relevant because there will be lots of people. We're going to hear from some people whose uh, Zelda this was their first Zelda. We're going to yeah. hear from people yeah, who have played absolutely. the whole series. We're going to have people who have dotted in and out and, uh, and it's all relevant. And uh, I've only caught up with certain uh, entries into the series or mm. finally completed them having done this series of podcasts. So, yeah, uh, same. Yeah, exactly. Some somebody on the uh, on the forum said, uh, you know, I wonder how many, I wonder how many people there are in the world who have played more Zelda than than Leon me, <laughs> in the in the past year and a half because I've been on every single one of these uh, shows. And I should say, I also got a link between worlds for that Christmas, the Christmas it came out. It was a gift from my always generous in laws. Uh, I did pop it in the machine that very night. I seem to remember, mm. uh, and <laughs> yeah, uh, because I came, I, I wasn't staying anywhere. I was, I, I came home. I don't mm. think I took my 3ds to to the in-laws. Um, it has a nice reversible sleeve with a kind of goldish colour, yeah. Uh, yeah, on one side, and and the uh, the original green. It's the uh, the sacred uh, master sword in the in the grove kind of thing with uh, the little hieroglyphic uh, link, which is sort of the the key mechanic the the new mechanic will obviously talk about it uh and yes i rattled through it i think in fairly quick time over the yeah the next couple of weeks or so in in under 20 hours uh i've been back to it but i haven't completely uh recompleted it the reason being that i decided after having played every zelda game through pretty much in a row in in the space of year and a half and also uh kind of dabbling with breath of the wild really at this stage with, with a mere like 30 or something hours into it and <laughs> no dungeons done uh i decided to try something different which was um the hero mode because you unlock that when you complete the normal game mm. so i decided to go back in on hero mode it's slightly different to previous hero modes uh but it is considerably more challenging than the vanilla game out of the box so i haven't recompleted it but uh, i have you know refreshed and 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 all that i'm back in low roll and it's a lot scarier than it was on the <laughs> difficulty first thing i want to do is hear from the forum and uh, unlike some recent zeldas that we've covered and some other games that we've covered we had plenty of correspondence for this one so let's start with octorock385 appropriately named who says <laughs> A Link Between Worlds is the only modern Zelda game I would recommend to a non-gamer who wanted to know what Zelda is all about. It captures the exploration, puzzles and feeling of accomplishment that established the Zelda series at the start, and it lacks the annoyances of the 3D games. There is no complicated lock-on combat that tears you away from the exploration, and no look around the room until you see a switch situations. A Link Between Worlds maintains a perfect pacing throughout, with each dungeon and area of the overworld jam-packed with secrets. There is no downtime, no arduous chore sections, and mercifully no dredging an entire ocean. Even the game's largest side quest, an Easter egg hunt for a 100 squeaky octopuses, his words, I don't, that's probably accurate actually, doesn't feel like a major chore. I can say with certainty that A Link Between Worlds builds on the world created by A Link to the Past and brings, brings it successfully into the modern age. Uh, and I suppose, again, for context, we should say that some of these forum posts were written before anyone had played the most recent Zelda game. Uh, and 
also that uh, this game is now four years old. You know, it was released. Um, no, just November over three. November 2013, yeah. So yeah, three, just three over and a quarter, three and a half. Three years, and a quarter years yeah. old. Yeah, so it's, you know, I mean, it's it's contemporary-ish, but it's not, it's no longer brand new. Let's put it that way. Uh, here is your spoiler warning. I will issue it. No guarantee we'll spoil anything, really. And what you consider spoiled probably might not involve the end of a Zelda game. But uh, but there <laughs> it is. We can say whatever we like from this point on. So development commenced in late originally, initially in late 2009 uh, with Spirit Tracks under their belts. Uh, most of the development team went over to work on Skyward Sword for the Wii. See our previous uh, podcast on Skyward Sword and Spirit Tracks. Uh, however, three members of the Spirit Tracks team continued uh, on handheld duties, looking uh, at the 3DS, of course, now. Uh, Shikata and Shiro Muri were two of the three members working on a new game. And at this point, they hadn't considered it uh, as anything to do with A Link to the Past, or certainly not a sequel. They were supposedly building a game built around the theme of communication. Uh, six months into the project, they showed it to Miyamoto because that's what you do. And he was not very keen. He said it was outdated. Uh, so back to the drawing board, basically. Uh, this was the point where Shikata proposed the idea of Link being able to merge into walls. Uh, there was an initial prototype coded within a day. And uh, the influx there was an influx of ideas following that uh, prototype. The idea of Link going from a 3D character to a 2D character and then uh, moving smoothly round corners was uh, obviously had some you know, serious potential. Uh, and at this point, the game had a similar look and feel uh, to the handheld predecessors. The I guess that sort of uh, slightly Wind Waker-ish, but top-down-ish look. So this prototype went to Miyamoto again, now in October 2010, and he approved it. However, core members of the team were then reassigned to work on the forthcoming Wii U games to <laughs> have some <laughs> games ready for the launch of that machine. Uh, so development ceased at that point until November the following year, uh, when uh, A.G. Anima decided he wanted to revisit this idea of Link entering walls, as it had already been prototyped. Uh, Shikata Amori was still involved in Wii U launch games. Uh, Aonima decided to revive the project regardless. Uh, Kentaro Tominaga was brought in to continue where the, uh, where the original uh, prototype creators had left off. The system of entering walls had uh, was re uh, refined and some small dungeons were designed. Miyamoto had a look at those in May 2012. Uh, Tominaga planned to create 50 more small dungeons that would utilise the wall entering mechanic. Uh, but Miyamoto wasn't keen on that and instead said, how about Link to the Past? Because <laughs> that seems to be uh, what Miyamoto says in these situations. Uh, and frankly, who can blame him? A, a quick uh, note there. Yeah. First of all, how stressful must it be to go into a meeting with oh. Shigeru Miyamoto knowing that yeah. he can just wave his hand and your game's dead mm -hmm. or wave his hand the opposite direction and suddenly you're, you're a go. Um, second second yeah. of all... Having 50 small dungeons created around the theme seemed like a really bad idea. Mm. I'm not sure it is. Yeah. 
Well, yes. just saying. Uh, how many how many shrines are there in Breath of the Wild? Yeah, uh, uh, maybe I'm, that I'm idea didn't get complete. Ninety into the hundred and twenty at the moment. So there yeah. you go. Um, yeah, well, you can so. you can see like some of the ideas that that I'm wondering. Uh, the first thing that I thought, having read that part about the um, the the building a game around the theme of communication. Now, I haven't actually mm. played Triforce Heroes, but isn't that kind of the yep. point of that? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, you can see a lot of things kind of starting to gel here that kind of. Mm came to the fore in different projects in the future too mm. so it seems like they don't really throw anything out permanently well not much anyway yeah no i think that's absolutely i, right. I wonder, Any, I wonder exactly know. what it was that prompted uh a link to the past to be brought up i mean the, the, the notion fact that of, they always do that um, maybe, i mean we, yeah. they're, they're, i mean uh, famously we talked about uh, sure, uh, both yeah. the uh, the game boy game a Link's Awakening, that was going to be a Link to the Past for Game Boy. And then yeah. the Oracle's games, that was going to be linked to the past for, at one stage, was going to be linked to the past for Game Boy Color. Mm. I think they're really proud of Link to the Past. <laughs> and having now played all the Zeldas back to back, I can, I still feel that that's entirely justified. Like, mm. Uh, mm. I still, I still consider it to be like, the masterpiece of the series in in for my my money anyway so, so in some ways the design seems to go let's find the mechanic and then apply it to yeah. that yeah kind of basic structure but in this case let's apply it to that map yeah very much so Ooh, the which map, is the map a different is, take i guess yeah the, the the map is almost uh fully recreated and this is exactly uh what we we had at this point aonima um felt that uh the the perspective uh 2d 3d would work with the 3d of the 3ds uh, and the idea also, Leo was talking about playing it on the 2DS or with the t- or the 3D slider off, which is mm. my default position. Although I do sometimes use it on the N3DS because the stable 3D is actually does work for me uh, and doesn't look like a mess if you tilt the screen slightly. Uh, a lot of the dungeons, particularly on the early dungeons, there's one where you're constantly being bounced up in the air. That was that was specifically designed to take advantage of the 3D of the 3DS console mm. to make, you know, if people were playing it in a shop or whatever, go, oh, 3D, Link's coming out of the screen at me. It's in the, the arrow fired at this totally. camera type thing of yeah. 3D films, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after several more terrifying presentations to Miyamoto, <laughs> development uh, was allowed to progress in July 2012. Uh, so the uh, team was expanded, people returning from other projects, and uh, finally finished just yeah a month before the game was uh, was released, I guess. Um, yeah, so it was during development that the 2DS was prototyped and finalised itself, so they had to kind of dial back the, the 3D-ness of the puzzles. Remember thinking about uh, some of the puzzles in uh, Super Mario 3D Land? Hmm that was very much designed around being able to see the 3d and use the 3d it's all playable in 2d it it is but uh here they had to be apparently they had to be careful to make sure that you could do it even if the 3d was not there because it isn't necessarily there if you've bought a 2ds Uh, they chose to make link a mural while he was on the wall, uh, this led to creation of Yuga, the game's antagonist. I believe Yuga is Japanese for oil painting. Uh, he is a sorcerer that can transform himself and others into paintings. Uh, Aonima has also said that the idea of Link turning into a mural was inspired by Phantom Ganon jumping in and out of painting, paintings during that famous encounter in Ocarina of Time. 
So that's some background. Uh, now let's talk about our sort of first impressions of the game. Josh, uh, do you remember booting this up for the first time and seeing uh, this 3DS but yet return to the past kind of Zelda? And, and what were your thoughts? Um, first of all, I mean, in terms of look, um, it, it's weird um, talking about first impressions after now playing so many 2D Zeldas because um, initially... Um, you know, I thought the game looked a lot better than it did in trailers. I think it's a benefit of um, having it on a smaller screen and not on a desktop where you can, you know, widescreen the the uh, the trailer or what have you. And it and it just uh, doesn't look quite as good as it does on that small screen. And and you know, f- throughout the game, it's very colourful and and it's got a lot of character, but. Having played um, some of the other 2D Zeldas, I do think it kind of falls in the middle for me in terms of visual design. Um, I think it looks a lot better than Phantom Hourglass and and Spirit Tracks. Just um, the characters are a bit more defined and less blocky, and um, the use of colour is really great. But it doesn't have the... Uh, personality of uh, A Link to the Past, the original yeah. with the uh, pixel artwork, or Minish Purple Cap. Hair. Yeah. Or um, the Minish Cap, which uh, for me still I think is a real favourite of mine in terms of visual design for the series. I think those two games kind of stand out as the, the two um, most striking in terms of visuals uh, of the 2D, uh, 2D entries. This, this is good. But uh, it's just not. Uh, it, there's something kind of missing there that that was there with a link to the past. Hmm. Leah, how did you feel? Um, I think like, sort of similar to Josh. I I think that this is the best looking of the 3D uh, handheld Zeldas. But at the same time, I didn't really think that there was anything particularly remarkable about the. 3D Link. Now, I really like how the 2D Link looks, and I like that it's a different uh, representation than it is... uh, I mean, they didn't just flatten out the existing sprite and make him... uh, or the existing model, rather, and just make that um, a flat thing on a wall. They had a completely different art style, and he moves differently, and you can see his eyes kind of tracking the enemies while he's moving back and forth on the walls. And um, the same thing goes for any of the uh, characters or things uh, that you see on the walls, like the rupees when they're flattened. Those look different. The hearts look different when they're flattened. I really like that look. Um, I don't think that the 3D look is necessarily bad, but I don't think that it's particularly impressive. Uh, it's it's a nice uh, adaptation of the map that you already know if you have played uh, A Link to the Past, but it's I, I didn't think that it was particularly remarkable in that way. It looks good, but it it's not something that I'm going to remember forever. Hmm. James? Uh, yeah, kind of much the same. I mean, it, it, the appeal of the visuals for me are definitely in how how colourful it is. It's very vibrant, um, and the stuff the the way the bushes look. Let's face it, is just straight from Link to the Past. So the stuff that leans into this being the same world as Link to the Past and and therefore looks the same and is designed the same. I think that stuff all looked great. But yeah, the the characters, they lacked uh, a style or kind of like an identity. You know, when I think of different eras of Zelda or different uh, sort of 
archetypes of of Link and and the the way that he looks. You know, Twilight Princess for all it's criticised. I know what that Link looks like. Um, Wind Waker. I know what that Link looks looks like. There's a there's an artistic design there that, like or loathe, I can put my finger on. And in this kind of looks like a 3D mobile game in a 2D environment. You know, any colourful mobile game you might play, the characters are bubbly, they're bright, but there's nothing really definitive about them, I don't know. Um, sounds an odd thing to say because uh, mm. overwhelmingly when I was playing, I was just uh, bowled over by being in this recreated world that I'd seen as a 10-year-old kid, you know, 12-year-old kid, however old I was. Um, but yeah, there is, there's definitely something quite lacking a bit in the, specifically the, the character design of Link, I think, um, it, you know, the enemies and whatnot didn't, don't intrude quite so much, but Link you're looking at the whole time and he's this bland looking character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My take on this, I have very mixed feelings overall. Uh, I really like on a technical level, I think it looks really nice. It's incredibly mm. clear and crisp. I think the color palette is lovely. Like uh, the, the the choice of colors everywhere yeah. is just perfect. Uh, yeah, not else I can say. Purely subjective thing on that. The um, I, f I feel like we talked about Four Swords Adventures on the GameCube, and I know uh, some, particularly Josh, and we suspected it was partly to do with playing it on a high-res monitor under emulation because these were issues I didn't have playing it um, on a cathode ray tube back in the early mid two thousands, but there were some issues with the sort of cutout look of of and expanded look of the sprites. But mm. I feel like the what the the job they, the Four Swords Adventures. Uh, team did on the look of bringing a link to the past up to you know sort of higher res and also things like the clouds going overhead i feel like that was actually a more attractive take on bringing it up to date or had more personality and kept more of the essence of a link to the past than a link between worlds does but yeah things like the scenery is 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 fine and functional without being it didn't you know it didn't really capture my imagination like a link to the past did at the time mm. the the real downside to me was the character art which although not quite as naff and blocky reminded me very much of there was a period of uh, the mid 90s really when japanese developers in particular started modeling 3d uh, characters for their games and these references may not work for everybody but I'm thinking about games like Shining Wisdom and Baku Baku and Pang 3 and there were these very sort of um, it's very hard to but yeah not they're not poly as such they're kind of they're sort of rendered looking 3D characters and they're very kind of lumpy bumpy very lacking in personality they look like sort of I don't know, they look like Fisher-Price toys or, or, or something like that. They're just nothing, for me, nothing on sprite art, on pixel art. And although the the characters in this are not nearly as kind of blocky and horrific as those, they have, for me, a, a similar lack of personality. And hmm. even just in how we talked a lot about over the series about how weird some character designs in in the Zelda games are and obviously that varies a lot from game to game we've talked about the different styles but there's normally an element of 
otherness or oddness to the enemies or at least some some of the npcs have, have like weird faces but here you've got ravio's mask which is a little odd and and yuga's face is a little odd but overall everything looks very safe and clean and and slightly unimaginative to me things like the zoras just look really limp compared to how weird and kind of yeah uh eerie and and mysterious they look in in previous games if i didn't know better i'd say that they were worried that when you're playing the game they couldn't get the detail onto the character's face yeah so why bother putting it in the in the character art at all almost and I think so, but then you but look at the better. previous two. We know two, the 3DS yeah. can do the, that. So. Well, yeah, and also the previous two games on on considerably lower resolution machines, yeah. Yeah. they'd they'd attempted to do a take on the Wind Waker graphics, which obviously mm. by their nature have less kind of fine detail. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they they, they didn't yeah. take away from the character of them. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not saying that they they didn't look nicer on the GameCube and and subsequently the Wii U, but they still. I, I think we probably established that despite the the kind of blockiness and PlayStation sort of quality of of the uh, the the DS graphics, they still maintained a good amount of Wind Waker charm. Uh, whereas here, although I think overall the games obviously it's much higher resolution, and the fact that the whole thing runs at a, a slick sixty frames a second, which was uh, something they aimed for throughout development and, and achieved apart from it does slow down on on rare occasions uh it really kind of yeah it gives it a, a slick polished kind of overall vibe and yeah stuff like the way that the, the the i'd say the overall visuals one of the first things that loading it up again recently for the first time in three years i actually thought that it looked like one of the most high resolution 3ds games i've played now I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure I don't know what the default resolution on the 3DS is, and I don't know even where, whether it has like a high res mode or a lower res mode. I'm sure it's just to do with the design. So on that level, they achieved something successfully because it looks attractive and cool and high end. But yeah, just for me, lacking a little personality. Hmm. However, and we'll come on to the audio. Uh, the sound goes a long way to make up for <laughs> for those deficiencies um if they are deficiencies the other thing i wanted to ask you and and again this plays back into our talk about context in terms of when we'd played a link to the past prior to this uh before this sort of how you each felt playing a game that you knew was a sequel come remake come homage to this beloved uh 20 year old um predecessor did it make a difference to you were you just were you excited because it it was a return or was it if if you didn't do it that way round, did you feel like you'd missed out something like that well i had just played it uh played the original uh link to the past relatively recently before actually uh coming around to this so i didn't really have the um the nostalgia going for me. I it, it was obviously a sequel and obviously a, a pretty significant takeoff on on that game, but I didn't I didn't have I think the the weight of the association like the people mm. who would have played it when it uh, played Link to the Past that is when it originally came out. Um, I I think that I uh, 
saw what they were doing and and thought that uh, in many ways it was impressive. And I, I liked some of the uh, the callbacks that they did. And uh, even if uh, many of them were extremely blatant, um, it, it it I liked what they did with it. Um, but I'm not sure that my particular experience would be. Well, I guess I guess the same as um, any of you who uh, would have played it hmm. at that time. Let's find out, James. What mm-hmm. was your? What, what, I realised you just told us, but in in what order did you come to things, and and how do you hmm. feel that affected your uh, uh, well, experience? It's, it's fair to say, on the basis that I hadn't played another Zelda since Link to the Past, I wouldn't have played this one if it wasn't a direct sequel to there Link to go. the Past. Right? Yeah, uh, it, it just wouldn't have happened. I, I'd. I have holes in my gaming history because there was a period of 10 years when I didn't play that many games, especially on consoles. Um, and I've kind of come to terms with not going back through, given I've, I've missed it for the, the podcast, not going back through all of the Zelda games. But when this one came out, it's a direct sequel to a game that... Um, I'm one of these people who, if I have a spare couple of hours for whatever reason, I'll just throw a spreadsheet together of every game I've ever played and start whittling down to see just a dipstick test how is it has my taste in games changed how am I feeling about games at the moment and there is no point that a link to the past wouldn't have made my top 20 it might slip out my top 10 occasionally but that that can fluctuate that I hold that game in such high esteem and playing that right before uh, this game came out um was just an overwhelming rush of nostalgia, uh, having not touched it in, you know, 18, 19, 20 years, somewhere in that order. Um, to the point where I'm not sure I can judge that game. I have to almost take other people's uh, opinions and listening to the podcast you guys did to judge right. whether that's actually still a good game by today's standards. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's so wrapped up in a 12-year-old boy playing sure. a game that just blew their mind completely. Kind of um, in my mind, and I was ten years older than you. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so coming to to this, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't have played it if it wasn't for Link to the Past. Uh, the excitement I had for this was this is really going to be a sequel, and, and in the timeline, there's two or three games actually in between Link to the Past and this. Oddly, because the timeline for Zelda makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but nonetheless, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. The rest of the games I hadn't played, they weren't going to impinge on, in any way on my experience. This was revisiting that game mm. on a new system with changes that had been rumoured to the way that progression was going to work, etc. Um, so yeah, I, I went in a very much a mind of, can they recreate A Link to the Past? I think it's fair to say, uh, possibly yeah. not the fairest way to approach a game, but that's well, they, kind of the they kind of brought it upon themselves, didn't they? Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially in Japan, <laughs> uh, where it's called the sequel. Yeah. Josh, how about you? Yeah. This? So um, going into this with with none of the baggage of a link to the past, um, I I didn't feel like I was missing out. I I I'm, generally I think this game does a great job of standing apart from that game there are a lot obviously the whole map is almost identical and there are tons of references but in terms of like the you know the 
temple designs and mm. um, just the approach and like you know renting items and and we'll get onto the kind of, of nuances of the mechanics but this game is bringing new stuff to the table and yeah i think i i think it stands apart i think it does benefit from its association uh, association with uh, link to the past in a couple of key ways um you know g- having now played it um having now played a link to the past you, you i really do appreciate how well designed that map is and you know Going, you know, playing Link, uh, Link Between Worlds. Um, at the time, I was kind of giving that game credit for that uh, originally. Mm. Now, because I've played a Link, uh, a Link to the Past, it it yeah. kind of takes away that. Um, and, and generally, I'll get onto this in in the conclusion. But you know, generally, I think I do prefer a Link to the Past um, to this game. And mm-hmm. having played that game has somewhat. Um, changed my opinion of this game but also um there are certain things that it does that i i think it it does do a good job of standing apart um i've kind of um confusingly got to the point of yes uh, i think this game does work if you haven't played a link to the past and i think really you should play it before a link to the past because really for me um i i think if i had played a link to the past first um, I think there are a certain parts of this game that I would have been disappointed with that I I don't feel that negatively about because I played it in the order I did. Um, hmm. And it, yeah, I, yeah I, I think it works totally fine without playing the, the original game. That's really interesting, and I want to come back to that. But my perspective was similar to James, I guess, in that, yeah, I played... A Link to the Past, albeit at a different age, but uh, at a time in gaming. For me, it was uh, mid-90s when I first played A Link to the Past. It was already a few years old when I finally got my Super Nintendo and then I finally got around to getting a Zelda game. I hadn't really realised how important it was, how much fun I was going to have playing it. Somehow it kind of escaped my attention, finally got around to playing it, blew me away. Still consider it one of my favourite games, a masterpiece. So coming to... A Link Between Worlds, I guess there was mixed feelings. You've got a certain amount of excitement. Obviously, for me, there's a huge element of nostalgia. I have incredibly fond memories. The certain noises from A Link to the Past transport me right back to who I was, where I was, when I was in, you know, in the mid-90s. So, so there's a lot of that stuff. But then there's also the fear that you know, having come to this, having played several of the of the Zelda games in between and enjoyed them all to some degree or other that at that stage I'd never played a Zelda game I'd hated uh, I was confident that they wouldn't do something awful besmirch the good name of a link to the past and hmm. uh, and and I think overall uh, that's you know I came away feeling that but uh, but in terms of the order in which one should play them uh well I, I, again i, I want to hold that back for my summary because uh, it's yeah it's a matter of some debate and i don't think there's any right or wrong answer but i think there's i think yeah each of us will probably have a feeling as to which is the way to do it i think i, I feel like i i can't know because i didn't do it this way around but i feel like i would have not got quite the same level of thrill from hearing the newly uh, remixed or reorchestrated versions of the music had i not had such powerful uh affection for the original themes and things like that 
um, and going back and then hearing them in Super Nintendo sound quality may have not been as fulfilling. So, I, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, Nick Beaumont from the forum says, playing through from the first time, I remember experiencing this wonderful dichotomy between exploring a world I was intimately familiar with in a way that was completely new and fresh. The game is very self-aware of its lineage and constantly subverts the player's expectations as to what will happen next. Remember that unforgiving ice temple on the bottom right of A Link to the Past map? Well, that's now the fire temple. Expecting your escort in the thieves' hideout to once again turn into the dungeon boss? Well, that's no longer the case. The boss is now a much bigger brute. The games know exactly where to stick to the original template and where to do its own thing. And it's the space between the old and new that has the capacity to surprise and delight. All of this is compounded by a medley of lovingly remastered Zelda tracks with the Hyrule field theme in particular injecting a huge amount of energy. So yeah, uh, Nick obviously feels that they straddled that divide skillfully without, uh, without falling down or upsetting anyone. I think um, Nick made kind of an important point there, which is the nostalgia, obviously, for yourself and myself, Leon, is going to be particularly strong with this going Mm. back to a game they were so familiar with. But there's subversion here as well. There there are changes that, I mean, within the dungeons and without, that are important to to take into account as well or or to to recognise. and and not just necessarily to accommodate the main mechanic of of sort of slipping onto the wall and off, um, but but in making sure that you're never quite just running through the motion, not going through the motions, if if you know what I mean. Um, it, it is different. It is a world that is different, and there are different things going on. Um, and you know, from the moment Ravio pops up, it that's a very stark contrast to anything from Link to the Past. I think. Mm. Yeah, another thing I want to talk about is the writing. And I know that this is not the reason a lot of people play Zelda games and it's not the reason I play Zelda games. However, I think it it does strike me now playing A Link, uh, a Link Between Worlds uh, in this day and age. Um, and after we talked about how basically starting in the early 2000s, Nintendo started to uh, pay a lot more attention to their localization to the extent that some of their games have incredibly well-written and charming English language translations and presumably other languages as well, uh, depending on where you're from. You may be lucky in that regard. Uh, but here, uh, I'm, like the localization is fine. And there's no, it's not, we're certainly not back to the the bad old days of, uh, of terrible, insensitive localization. But again, rather like the characters, for me, there's just not, really very much going on i'm not saying that uh that ravio and and mama maya maya whatever her name is aren't without a, a certain amount of charm but after the the sort of banter of uh, i used the word banter uh of, <laughs> of mario and luigi rpgs and the incredibly i find incredibly sweet and funny uh, writing that goes into uh, the menu screens of pikmin 3 and things like that this seems a little kind of bland and bare bones again and that, that plays into the sort of the lack of feeling i i have for the characters now i'm not saying that the western localization of a link to the past 
was any better. In fact, I suspect it was probably, yeah, in fact, thinking about it, it was definitely worse <laughs> uh, in terms of you know, actually English language writing and um, fleshing out the story. Uh, however, when I played that for the first time, expectations were very different. Um, so again, this may this may depend on contextually where you come from. But I guess uh, my question to each of you is: uh, Did you feel did the did the story and the the, the dialogue and, and stuff actually bring you into the game at all? Did it did it mean anything to you? Did it speak to you, <laughs> Leah? Well, they kind of go in broad strokes, don't they? Because I mean, you you have low rule which that's funny because it's high rule and it's low rule and they're opposites you see uh, it it just i don't know I, I kind of kind of like you were saying leon i i don't really generally come to these games for the writing uh, i didn't find it offensive by any means but it no, Again, sure. ki kind of like the art, um, it, it wasn't particularly remarkable in most situations, um, and, and you can take that as a good thing or a bad thing. It wasn't remarkably bad, it wasn't remarkably good, it was just kind of there. Um, it, it was fine, I guess, um, but I, I didn't, that would not be a reason that I would recommend this to anybody. Mm -hmm. Josh, how about you? So... <sighs> I mean, my feelings are similar, but kind of going back to my point about playing this before A Link to the Past, um, this and, and kind of the art are kind of a big part of why. It's because here they, they, they kind of want you to care a little bit about the context of the situation that Link is in mm. and um, the story and, and the villain and, and all of that. And there's something beautiful about the purity of a link to the past where it's just like there's writing there but for <laughs> the most part it just wants you to get on with it and it's more of a in terms of what's kind of making you fall in love with the world it's more of a tone and an atmosphere um that that art and combined with the music it does such an effective job of getting across and and the more i think back um uh to you know playing that game and and talking about the podcast that's what really stays with me is that there's like a purity to the aesthetic and the way it presents the world to you as the player that just re just isn't present here um, and it's and it's kind of a less is more situation because they're trying a little bit harder than they did with Link to the Past to get you to care about these characters and the situations they're in. I actually end up caring less, um, and mm. and they've all and I'm also comparing this this story to more effective examples. Um, Majora's Mask is always going to kind of stand out for me as the strong point in the series in terms of really creating a context that's mm. relatable and scary um but here it's just kind of like and, and they are trying like i i don't think it, it's easy to say well that's not the focus because i i got that sense that it wasn't the focus in the link to the past but here i i do feel like they're trying to get you to care and it's kind of falling down and it's not working hmm james any thoughts on this it's we're talking writing rather than story, but I think I want to make a point about, about about story kind of first to, to read into into what I want to say about the writing, which is it it feels like the ways in which this game differs mechanically and 
in terms of what the maps represent and who Yuga is and who Ravio turns out to be. Those sorts of things that just aren't in Link to the Past and are the the key differences. It seems with the focus on on them, on the way the map's laid out and stuff that's going to surprise people who've played Link to the Past and know that game, the stuff that's the same had to be kind of really the same you know Link wakes up and just has to go off and rescue the princess because he's Link and that's obviously what he's going to do and yeah okay we find out that there is actually a trigger for that later on when we find out who Ravio is but to to the player as Link it's kind of just I'm doing this because I'm Link, I'm, this is a Zelda game this is what I do Um and it feels a little bit that way with the writing to me that the conversations you have with the priest who says, oh, you need to go here and do the, you know, you need to go to Hyrule Castle now or whatever, wherever he sends you off to, or Eastern Palace or whatever. Um, they're very functional, but good localization. And I, I don't know what the original Japanese script was for any of this, obviously. No. But good localization tends to capture the spirit of the original language but allow humor and cultural references of the um the converted language in our case english to to shine through you know there there's you know when you're seeing a, a really well localized uh be it a film or a game or whatever but a, a piece of dialogue because it takes yeah. into account the language that it's being translated into um and I didn't get that sense from a lot of this. I mean, high rule, low rule. That's one of the kind of that. That's one of the most obvious uh, examples of actually a, a situation where they have made an effort to make a pun almost. But that that's as as Leah said. That's a really bare bones kind of kind of pun. It's, it's, it's perfunctory. It's fine. Yeah, it works. We all get the reference, but. That's Elder kind Zelda, of how of I felt about mm-hmm. the script. A, a lot of it is just, yeah, it does the job, but it's not. It's not telling me who Link is. And in some ways, I'm like, well, I know what from Link to the Past, and from what I know, what little I know of other Zelda games, I know what this story is going to be. Do I really need a lot of flourish and a lot of backstory and a lot of understanding who Link is as a character to know who Link is as a character? The answer's probably not, but that doesn't mean you can't try. So Alex Maskill from the forum and occasional contributor to the blog says, Easily my favourite of the handheld Zelda games. Approachable, beautifully designed, lovely to look at, and a really great evocation of Link to the Past. The thing that always stands out to me the most is that its audio design really is wonderful and really gives the world a lot of sense of place. Definitely my second favourite 2D Zelda after the original Link to the Past, now that I think about it. So that music, uh, Ryo Nagamatsu, apologies for my pronunciation, composed and orchestrated the new music, as I said earlier. He also played the flute, as featured in the Milk Bar. Uh, there's also uh, Toro Minigishi, plays guitar on one track. Uh, he wanted to, uh, Nagamatsu, Nagamatsu wanted to balance arrangements of past music with completely new music to both uh, to please both older and new players. He began by revisiting old tracks and thinking how he could best adapt them for A Link Between Worlds. 
He was eager to include choral performances as a way to add tension to the eerie and unpleasant scenes in the game. However, the audio team decided not to use a live orchestra for recording the game's music. Uh, the primary reason for this was to create optimal sound for the 3DS. Reverberations and low pitch sound created by live orchestra were not suitable for the 3DS speakers. So I was kind of amazed when I read that because normally I pride myself on being able to tell the difference between electronic and organic orchestras. I thought a large amount of this music was real instruments. Somehow it isn't. Uh, to me, it sounds incredibly organic. Um, this has to be one of my favourite soundtracks of gaming, um, particularly the... Obviously, it plays into the nostalgia, but the rearrangements of the existing Link to the Past tracks, particularly the low, low rule overworld theme, I think are just magnificent. So if there, there are lots of things I do like about this game and some misgivings that I'll share later. But if nothing else, listen to the music, especially if you ever loved any Link to the Past music, because uh, it really elevates the entire experience for me, this soundtrack. Yeah, I think it would have been really easy for them to just rely too heavily on the uh, Link to the Past soundtrack. Um, and equally, it probably would have been just as easy to not use any Link to the Past music at all. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe put in the, uh, the kind of iconic Zelda theme and leave it at that. But I think that what they did struck a really nice balance. They used that old music in in such a way that it wasn't the main focus but it was in there enough that you knew that they were intentionally referencing it in in many points uh, that like 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 you were saying the remixes and and how it was reorchestrated and how everything kind of comes together um i i i think turned out extremely well on this game yeah i think you know I I had some complaints about the visual aesthetic of this game, but I have no complaints about the audio aesthetic of this game, both in terms of sound design and the music. I think it's just phenomenal. And you and as Leon just said, like the, I I I don't believe that this is all electronic music. It's mm. it's an incredible. And if anything, that knowledge makes this soundtrack even more impressive because there is some sorcery going on to make those strings. <laughs> instruments sound the way they do mm. the, the low rule theme especially I'm in my head imagining a band you know of string yeah. instruments plucking away and you know the knowledge that this is all done possibly on a computer is mind boggling it's it's a fantastic piece of work James you yeah, uh, yeah I, I can only um, echo that sentiment I think the Leah's point about about this being the hardest path to to integrate new and old music in a way that doesn't sound jarring, um, it is an incredibly uh, pertinent one for me because I found the the remade or reused tracks catching me off guard sometimes, um, where mm. I, either I just kind of not noticed that they were playing, or or they did just kind of catch me when I came out of a dungeon, something started playing. Um, it it put a lump in the back of my throat when yeah. you know it, as it does you know smells and sounds just send us back into our memories in ways that uh, visuals don't you know even, as much as as the map is similar and some of the design of of various things is kind of similar to link of the pa uh, link to the past but um yeah, yeah the way that, that this uh played 
it must have been incredibly difficult to do and to to realize that again Nintendo know their hardware they obviously by the sounds of it realized that it was it was futile to record a live orchestra and then play it through 3ds speakers presumably yeah you just lose too much of the quality and therefore what's the point so design something for the hardware you're using and um and yeah I, i'm not uh as as adept at picking instruments or uh whether it's a real instrument or or synthesizer uh as as uh, you or josh but um yeah the soundtrack just caught me at all the right moments in all the right ways um evoking uh the past but also it being something new and something slightly different mm full of praise so we always like to talk specifically on Kane and Rince about control, movement, locomotion, the actual handling of the character that you're handling. One of the things that I think uh, was mentioned by at least uh, one of our forum correspondents on the Link to the Past show was somebody who had uh, played Link to the Past for the first time in more recent times had found the controls a little stodgy and uh, sort of requiring a certain amount of precision, particularly on uh, hitting enemies where their shields aren't and things like that. And this game, I think this is one of the areas where the game does the most superb job of keeping the essence of the original while bringing it up to date. So you've got this uh, 60 frames a second, which apparently was mainly uh, due to wanting to incorporate 3D and also the quick uh, item selection through the stylus dragging and dropping, which I find amusing that they, they were uh, apparently they said it was it felt too sluggish uh, at 30 frames a second. Whereas I played uh, Animal Crossing Wild World for ages on the DS, and that the frame rate <laughs> in that must have been about 19 frames a second or something because it was incredibly jerky and sluggish to move things around the menus. Um, but they released it nonetheless. Uh, but I'm jolly glad they hit the, the 60 frames for the most part here. Uh, and yeah, Link, not only... Obviously now you've got him uh, on an analog circle, which I think is the, the 3DS's analog disc, whatever it's called, is, is a very comfortable thing to use and hold. Link, to me, always feels incredibly precise and responsive to, uh, to wheel about the screen. He's quick enough... Um, and and precise enough and every sw swish of the sword feels just as instantaneous as you want it and uh, and all that sort of good stuff so there's I, I can't think of a moment in this game where my you know my failure was to do with imprecision on on the part of the game only ever me and that's even playing it on hero mode where the enemies do four times damage and stuff like that so uh entirely successful from my point of view the the uh this technical control aspect josh how about you yeah i mean we're now getting on to the part of the podcast where i start to sound a bit more positive about um uh, a link between worlds um the the controls are fantastic um i just throughout the entire game, um, every enemy interaction, all the uh, moving of blocks and puzzles and stuff, it just feels really good. And I, it's really hard to define that, but you know it when you see it. And 
it's um, yeah, it's it's the one aspect of this game that I do think is a clear improvement over a link to the past. It, it just mm. it just feels really good in the hand. It feels good to swish the sword. It feels good to cut down bushes and and chop down your enemies. It's just it's a fun game to just interact with on, on a base level. Well said, Leah. Uh, I agree. I I think that um, that this is kind of where the game shines. What it lacks in um, maybe the the visuals strictly, it makes up for in in the controls. Um, and I think that uh, I, I think that I, I didn't know about the uh, about the sixty frames a second thing until uh, until um, it showed up in the show notes. Uh, but uh, I, I think that that probably did a lot for it um i I like that it's very snappy to be able to switch things one of the uh biggest issues that i had in some of the earlier uh handheld games was that you need all of these items and all of these tools in order to be able to progress and switching them is sometimes such a chore and and by and large that that often is the fault of in the handheld games uh, it's just the fault of the uh of the console or that it's on and um here they have more to work with and they and they do and i think that it works extremely well james uh yeah i i can't really add anything except i suppose to say that um i think you're right with the the analog uh disc or slider or whatever you want to call it for mm. for your your left stick um i think it it gives a really good turning circle which sounds like a really odd thing to say but a 2d game that's kind of pretty important yeah and so kind of spinning that around the outside in a circle versus an analog stick on a on a, a 360 controller or whatever um the Obviously, with an analog stick, it's, it's raised, and therefore the distance around the outside, if you're running around the the rim, if you like, uh, of, of the analog stick, uh, is much much larger. Whereas this, it it does just feel like you're on, you're sliding Link around and and giving him a good turning circle, especially when uh, oftentimes you are turning around to face an enemy and swing the sword, um, and or in in boss fights trying to kind of avoid the boss at the same time as ready an arrow and fire it uh, in a particular direction um, or a hook shot or whatever yeah I think that all that all worked well and I, I think that's maybe again I'm just reiterating myself that's where it, it the benefit is from designing the game for the specific hardware mm. yeah and again we obviously we we often try to put these things into words as Josh said, it's difficult. We we can use words like feel and we can use words like precise and crisp and responsive <laughs> and things like that. But actually, human beings make it that way. It's It doesn't happen by accident. It, it, it is to do with coding at the end of the day and things that us as, as enthusiasts but non-developers don't necessarily understand. But using my years of playing experience I, I think it's in things like it's it's to do it, hitboxes are a huge part of it obviously that frames per second thing is definitely relevant but it's also how things respond to your interacting with them so and link to the past and therefore uh, link between worlds they do have some particular things that i don't think even any other games in the zelda series necessarily have whereas the original nes Zelda, the the first The Legend of Zelda, very much felt like a game of its time in that you hit things and they flash a bit and ultimately they disappear. Link to the Past brought in this idea of 
yeah, soldier enemies with shields and uh, and the fact that when you hit them, they kind of flinch or, you know, back back off kind of thing. And it's to do with how far they go and the noise that it makes. We, we're talking about the, the sort of remixed tunes. There's a lot of sound effects here that are literally uh, just returned from A Link to the Past, uh, which has the effect of nostalgia. But it also means that they are largely sounds that are completely unrealistic like you are not hearing sounds that you would necessarily expect a sword fight between armored people (laughs) to make you're hearing very you're the game is the game knows that you know these sounds and even if you don't it knows that it's it's not a a realistic simulation of combat it's a it's a very sort of heightened or it's not even hyper real it's closer to cartoonishness isn't it than than anything but but by that i'm not saying by that that it means that you've got traditional cartoon effects of like you know um swanny whistles and and tin pans you've got these very specific video game noises um but each one of them kind of sounds to me and again like you said james it's very hard to separate uh my own personal subjective feelings well from anything really but particularly from something that you feel so strongly about over over so many years but the sounds even though they're odd and quirky they feel right somehow they they fit they match the action uh i've played a lot of games over the years it used to be i would say generally more western design games although not exclusively that would just have sound effects that just sounded like they were from some awful like sample library or sound effects compilation like oh you've picked up a gem here's the twinkly gem sound whereas Mm. the sounds in japanese games always sounded like how would it be the most satisfying if every time you hit yeah not to be realistic but for the event to yeah to to resonate yeah if that makes any sense so i suppose that brings us now on to perhaps the most talked about maybe controversial maybe celebrated element of the kind of core key change between perhaps most previous the legend of zelda games or certainly since the first one uh, and this one and even then it's not the same as the first one ravio's rentals Uh, right near the start of the game a dude turns up in a purple rabbit costume kinda and moves into your house which is where your house is in the original links of the past kind of in the middle of the overworld map and he sets up a shop and from his shop you can either buy for quite a large amount of rupees or rent for a quite affordable amount of rupees the various items that you need to progress through a the legend of zelda game including bow and bombs and an ice rod and a fire rod and a boomerang and uh, in this case a gale wand one is held back the sand rod because it's out on rental so it's not it's it's not complete choice of what you do and where you go but it's compared to previous games which have i guess since a link to the past increasingly limited things down and become more and more linear and it's one of the things we talked about a lot in skyward sword although there is a certain amount of open world roaming we got to a point where the game was doing a lot of hand holding particularly if you allowed it to with the dousing and stuff like this so there seemed to be a conscious return or not return but maybe a thought about what players actually wanted to do 
give them a certain amount of choice and freedom in terms of tackling uh, the particularly after the first three and when you open up low rule you you've then got a choice of six out of seven or seven out of eight or something like that that you can do in in whichever order you desire uh conventions were challenged now i have my own thoughts about this but we'll come back to me um leah how did you feel about this Do, so again you played this before no, you just played a link. Sorry, I keep forgetting who did it in what order. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tell us already, your story. <laughs> I had already played um, That's a, right. a Link to the Past, um, yes. but not very, not very long before. Yes, um, and I, so I like that they that they kind of mix it up a little bit in that you don't have to do many of these dungeons in the uh, in the specific order um, that that anybody else did uh but it makes me really anxious when i'm renting something and <laughs> and i don't i don't have that i didn't have a, a particularly difficult time with um with dying or anything like that but it still makes me a little bit nervous in that y this isn't yours yet and and particularly mm. i don't i don't remember at at exactly which point the uh, the option to purchase these things pops up i don't think you have it right away um but i when I had the option, I would um, I would spend more time farming the rupees so that I could just buy yeah. the thing outright. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because sure. I didn't want to have to keep going back. I didn't want to have to worry about if it would it's run a out. Game. It's like yeah. renting a TV. Yeah, it in really the, in is. The, in the <laughs> it's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna. You're 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 not gonna be uh, in in the best position if you just keep renting. You want yeah, exactly. to buy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially but, on uh, hero yeah. mode, where dying is a, a frequent occurrence. Oh yes, and you lose everything when you die, so right. uh, it, it all goes back. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't like um, having to rent things. And you kind of can farm rupees. It's something. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, there's been a few comments over over the series of podcasts that we've done about people saying our oh, uh, Zelda games have no grinding. Well, they can do if you want them to sometimes, and this one certainly can do. Again, it's not essential. You will pick up rupees along your way but i've been grinding in the last few days because i'm playing on hero mode and i want to not only do i want to own things but i want to upgrade them and so yeah i've been going round and round just chopping stuff down and getting rupees and that is now part of my zelda experience whether it's a fulfilling part or or not i'm not entirely sure but it does make it feel different although i'm i'm fairly obsessive about hacking down every piece of grass and pot i see in every zelda game anyway so hmm, i'm i'm still i'm still coming to terms with this this whole setup josh how about you and ravio's rentals i can see what they're trying to do with this concept they're trying to get the player to really think about what items here are an absolute must for all of my adventuring yeah. and what items here are only necessary to get past a brick wall that this item will demolish. And I think they're on the verge of a better version of this. Um, I think the, the, the problem is I get to a certain point in uh, A Link Between the Worlds where I am a little bit, you know, more flush for cash. Mm. And why, would, why wouldn't I buy everything? So, the, I mean, obviously I've got my priorities. First thing, bow, straight away. Got to buy the bow. 
Definitely, I'm going to use that all the time. Grappling hook, second. I'm using that all the time to stun enemies and, and what have you. All right. But the the stuff like the sand wand, um, I know you don't get that straight that away. locked out but for a while, yeah. Locked out for a while, but even later on, that's a rental, um, the fire yeah. wand and all of that. Just because that there's less applications for them outside of the temples that they're you know prominent yeah they're going to be very specific uses but you know still even though that's you know i i I know this and um and it's nice to save a bit of money and not spend it all at once to buy these items it's still annoying to you know go back to that shop rent it again mm. and then go back to the temple again it's just it feels like busy work um i bought everything of course i did as soon as i could you you absolutely can't um uh buy straight away leah's right on that uh rentals are 20 rupees and and buying is incredibly expensive in some cases um but but yeah i mean you can you can spin slash your way through a field of of grass or, or bushes or whatever pretty darn quickly so i think the the knock-on effect of this decision is is what really strikes me first of all you have to be able to farm rupees pretty quickly because it, it's at least hypothetically possible that someone just keeps dying over and over again and runs out of rupees and can't rent the equipment they need so you mm-hmm. have to be able to just in the world come across quite a decent sized number of rupees readily yeah, um, it spawns way more than other games in the series. Just, yeah, and, and just you, you can get blue and red around. rupees quite easily. Yeah, you know, every few swipes from a, a you know a screen full of grass or whatever. Um, but I mean, the other uh, knock-on effects are you now need a fast travel system. You cannot ask someone to go from one corner of the map they've just died so you're already putting them back if you like you're setting them back you cannot ask them to have to run all the way over to the shop to rent Mm -hmm. something to run all the way back to die again to you know you can't do it so there's a fast travel system um yeah and and it it, so the other aspect of it i suppose is story related which is it's actually really quite cool that it ma- you know it makes perfect sense that ravio would know exactly what equipment link would need and what therefore to rent him yes and would arrive and say here just have all of it whenever you like it's fine because of who ravio turns out to be you can so, say it. we're in we're in spoiler yeah, country yeah I've, I've said it a couple of times ravio is link's counterpart from low rule yeah. come to high rule to essentially go to link and say you know, and, and help him in a um, rabbit hat. with a rabbit suit on. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so, so yeah, it makes it, it makes the chosen one aspect and the happenstance of Ravio just happens to turn up and stick a stinky bracelet onto Link's wrist. Yeah, that kind of then makes sense. It doesn't feel so arbitrary and bizarre once you find out who Ravio is. But um, so yeah, it. it it's explained in the game, but then, as I say, the knock-on effect of this decision. Um, and interestingly, you, you've put in the you know uh, in the notes here that the development team felt that the the old formula of of the get item progress through dungeon, get item progress through dungeon mm. was flawed as a player could get stuck on a dungeon and would be unable to progress further in the game. They stuck with that for quite a long time for yeah. this flawed notion to then suddenly realise later on that it's flawed. Um, 
personally, I, I'm really glad they decided to change it up. I, mm-hmm. I am. I, I think this is a great way to to give players a sense of freedom. Um, I, I think there are flaws, as, as we've mentioned. If you're renting and you die, there's a lot of frustration built into that. You can get partway through a dungeon and suddenly find you can't progress through the rest of it until you get an item, kind of. You know, the hammer you suddenly find you need at one point, and you're like, well, I didn't know to bring that. Why would I? So there's backtracking yeah. there, hence the fast travel system. So it definitely introduces wrinkles, and, and I can absolutely see why Josh is saying, you know what, they've, they've moved away from this in some ways, and said, no, the other way to do this is make sure the player has all the tools they're going to need available to them at all time. Um, mm. But if this is this is the step they needed to take to get there, I'm, I liked... Sorry, I'm kind of trying to work out how to, to phrase this, but I, I didn't have the same notion of this stayed, tried, tested, and kind mm. of archaic structure of a Zelda game uh, because Link to the Past was the one I played and then I played this and it was playing with that structure uh, but I was very much aware of it you know I've, I've played Nier I've played Darksiders I've played games that are very much thought of as Zelda formula style games mm. um, and so so to see this as as an immediate subversion of what was done in Link to the Past was was nice. It was good to see them experiment with something. It, it's not 100% bulletproof in the way it works, but I was happy to farm the rupees and buy the stuff, and uh, as Leah and Joshua both said, much more comfortable just having that stuff to hand, and therefore I'll buy it, and if it means running about a bit collecting money, well, that's alright. Yeah, so I have really mixed feelings about this it did seem to be that it was one of the most highlighted elements of the game and it seems to be one of the most celebrated aspects of the people that really, really love this game and people like our Carl who love this or like this Zelda at least more than any other, this uh, this system. Whereas for me, I think it detracts from a couple of aspects. I also think you mentioned the fast travel there, which mm. there, there was fast travel in Link to the Past. Similarly, you flew about here. They bring back the uh, the sort of flying witch motif from uh, the Oracle uh, games. I think she first appeared uh, and others. Um, but here it's the fast travel is introduced earlier. There's more frequent stops. It, it's, it's it's quicker everywhere. to do. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 really easy. And I may even be contradicting things I've said about other games in the past where I've like there there is a sweet spot to be had in terms of how difficult it is to get about, how difficult it is to to get places and this is why games design is a you know it's a never ending thing it just continues because there are always elements that could be different or or be right for a certain situation and not right for others and uh, and they all play off one another but for me the that having all the items, despite the story justification for Ravio's origin and all that sort of thing, having all the items in the house at the start diminishes their worth massively to me. And to make them worth money makes them kind of seem worthless. Even as somebody who had played more Zeldas than you had when I played uh, this for the first time mm. between A Link to the Past and this, and now as somebody who has played however many Zeldas in a row over the space of a year and a half, I still don't have this sort of feeling of 
it's another dungeon yeah. where you get the item and you solve it with the item because they have done i mean i'm not saying puzzles have never been slightly replicated or or you know themes have been returned to but overall the one thing that i've enjoyed about every zelda game since link to the past are the are the puzzle designs and that continues here and we'll talk about those a bit in a in a minute um but one of the special things to me about a zelda game is the getting about like as i talked about a link in the uh, links of past podcast one of the actual aspects of the game that is a puzzle is solving the map like getting around the map and i realize that's more of an 8 and 16 bit kind of thing and again to reference breath of the wild it's an interesting thing because there there are now huge elements of that but also you've got far more freedom to go anywhere because you can climb on almost any surface and so on and so forth so here again it feels to me a bit like a compromise between the a link to the past way and kind of something that is very much uh, a concession to a less patient audience with less time but then i should also acknowledge that it is a handheld game and there were times when I really appreciated both the freedom of choice of being able to pick up pick an item for very little money and go off and muck about with it. Or because I'd seen a bombable cave somewhere, I could just go and get a bomb. But I was left feeling somewhat lacking, almost bereft at points compared to the astonishing feeling of satisfaction that I got from uncovering a link to the past secrets when I was in my early 20s. And there were no internet walkthroughs and there were no there's no hint system. This game has a hint system as well. The level of pure elation I got when I finally got hold of some of these items in this game was memorable to the point that I'm still remembering it 22 years on almost. Whereas in this game, it's like, right, here's everything. Go play. And that has a whole nother, a whole other reason for being. And there are definite pros to it but overall i would never take it over the way that it was done in link to the past with all these secrets and the 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 feeling of sacredness to these items you know like and the idea of having to venture into a temple where the item is stored and then get it out by solving the temple with the item i think that's a powerful thing and i think that's the reason nintendo have gone back to it time and time again and i think this they undermine that quite badly here for me, which is, I think, why this game will never kind of top A Link to the Past for me in my affections. And similarly, as I say, with the fast travel, actually getting around the map and working out how to get somewhere in Link to the Past felt like so much more of an achievement than it does here. So onwards to dungeons and bosses. So we've said that you can approach dungeons in... uh, pretty much in in whichever order you like certainly once you get past the first three uh but even that there are red crosses on the map i realize link to the past also had some some map markers on its mode seven map uh now i haven't had a full refresher on all of these because there's quite a lot there's what 12 13 something like that across the game so it's a it's a good number um more than some probably not the most in the series i'm not sure which one that would be uh my memories of them are, as usual, very positive. Um, has anyone got fresher memories of puzzles? Are there any particular standout temples or dungeons that are worth mentioning for being a little different? Or are they familiar but solid in quality? I had a little bit of trouble with the Desert Palace. Um, 
which is where you use that sand wand that mm-hmm. you are, are held back from in the beginning. I just, I, I found it a little bit tricky to get around with. And, and it's a neat idea that, that, that the sand wand that you have kind of raises up, uh, in, in many cases, the, uh, the sand that you're walking on to kind of create pathways and everything. I, I found that to be a little bit finicky, and maybe it was just me, but I, I remember having some difficulty with that one. We definitely had that in uh, in a previous game, didn't we? The mm. sand raising rod. I remember us. I remember playing with that in a in a recent game, uh, but I can't remember which one it was because they are a little bit starting. <laughs> Some of the dungeons, I'll confess, are starting to merge in my mind after a year and a half of, All, of Zelda yes. dungeons. Also, also that yes. <laughs> yeah. So. But uh, but yes. Any positive or negative thoughts on dungeon design, Josh? You've normally got something to say on this. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think. Um, Largely, all of these are are really great. Um, no, none of the temples kind of stand out as like. I think that they're all really strong in terms of puzzle design, but I can't think of one that stands out in like that. You know, there's al- almost always like a weird one in in these games, one that does something a little bit off the beaten path. And I think all of these kind of fit the standard kind of Zelda template for temples, but they're all just really, really strong examples of that standard template. Um, I would say that I think generally the the boss fights uh, boss fights in this game are pretty forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, you know, they're not bad. None of them, I, I didn't really struggle with any no. of them. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking uh, about some of the encounters I had in, you know, like the Minish Cap, where they, you know, did some like creative spins on yeah. uh, some uh, enemies, and um, and even a link to the past. You know, I, this, you know, a link to the past was kind of establishing uh, a lot of these conventions. I still think some of those boss fights are a little bit memorable, even if you know that that. You know they're not weird. They are kind of setting the standard. That they just felt a bit more uh, more memorable in the visual audio department. Um, yeah, and but having said all that, I think um, the use of the uh, the painting mechanic, where you mm. you know turn into two uh, D Link, that does add an extra you know something something to all of these places yeah. where you know th- there are moments where you're stuck for a couple of seconds and you're like how the how the hell am i meant to get over there there's just no oh wait i've completely forgotten about a core mechanic of this they game they do use it a lot uh, yeah. i mean it yeah. is it is the it is the new mechanic for this game yeah. and and it is used uh, an extraordinary amount throughout the game i found it enjoyable they obviously on a technical level they nailed it so that it's instantaneous and you walk you can only walk left and right apparently they did experiment with having sort of 2d platforming having link able to jump while he's in the wall as well uh, but they dispense with that um but yes uh, having gone back to some of the dungeons on this on this replay uh, it's still there's something still very neat about becoming 2d going around corners going through yeah. cracks in dimensions and, and all that sort of thing it was obviously the the kind of big selling point and and the cover star of the game and uh but yeah i suppose you could say if anything they used it quite a lot um but but yeah i didn't get bored of it so i guess that was all right i think the nice thing about 
about the fact that they do use it quite a lot is that they don't necessarily use it the exact same way the entire time. True. Uh, they, they have enough variety in it that I don't think it felt like they were overusing it to me. Like the one, the one that I'm thinking of uh, a boss mechanic that I liked um, was the, um, the big guy with the shield. I think he might be Stalbind, in the thief's hideout. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, you, it's, it's pretty obvious what you're supposed to do because he's holding out this big flat blank surface in front of you. And you're like, okay, <laughs> well, you know, so you merge into his shield and he kind of loses track of you and pulls it around behind him to look for you. And then you pop out That's behind him and cool. hit him in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that, I thought that was neat. You know, it, they have some yeah. creative things like that to where, uh, obviously they are pushing this mechanic because it's, it's, it's the thing. It is the gimmick, but, uh, I didn't feel that it felt stale yeah no that that was exactly the boss fight i was gonna mention actually just there were i I think had this mechanic been overused in the same way to the point where i was just kind of getting bored of it then as josh said i wouldn't have been occasionally forgetting that i could do it um and those moments like that boss fight where you suddenly you know light switches on and you suddenly remember yeah i've got a way to solve all of the problem I'm having here. Um, just that's what I I love from a puzzle game where you you know you have that mini eureka moment um, and walking into the Stalpine boss fight in the Thieves hideout, I think it is, um, and seeing that shield there. And yeah, it's probably signaled and yeah, you could probably get a hint or whatever, but feeling like you worked that out on your own and you've just solved this whole boss fight... Um, it is just yeah, it's it's really cool. There were the odd moments where I thought I could solve a puzzle or a room by jumping onto the wall, and then there's little sort of nodules on the wall that you hadn't quite spotted that mean you can't go that way. Mm. Um, but I think that just goes to show how much more difficult it would have been had they allowed you to move in in. Um, move up sort of vertically when you were on the wall as well they would have had to gate so much they'd have ended up with this visible path where you could go and that was obviously where you had to go so i think that made sense that you could only kind of move uh, horizontally in the environment Mm. like a painting would be able to i suppose let's hear from the forum again kid skitsky says suffice to say the zelda series has carried a tremendous amount of prestige in the pantheon of video gaming My deep love for the games began as a youngster at the age of seven or eight with Majora's Mask. Now I'm a college student in my early 20s. I'm just letting that sink in for a while. Mm -hmm. But I adore the portable games like Oracle of Ages, Seasons and even Phantom Hourglass. I remember visiting my grandparents' house and using their dial-up to skim through walkthroughs online. Every now and then I'd print out a page or two, but usually I left the other puzzles to be solved with as little help as possible. It felt like part of the adventure. I love the rush of satisfaction from hearing the classic audio cue of solving a puzzle. To this day, that sound is so sacred to me as a fan of Nintendo's universe, as is the entire Zelda series. Fast forward to 2014 and Zelda has evolved. This isn't like the 8-bit Link of before, but an incredibly fleshed out world with years of work perfecting it. When A Link Between Worlds was announced, like everybody else, I was quite eager to play it. It's embarrassing to admit, but I have still never played its predecessor, A Link to the Past, mostly because I've been so satisfied with modern Zelda iterations. So I played and finished it a couple of months after launch to find it as bold and progressive as entries previous, but also maybe not entirely for me. 
When it comes to what I appreciated, I think the best place to start is with its diligence in streamlining many little annoyances I've never noticed in Zelda before. Things like an energy gauge replacing consumables helps reduce busy work. Also, the big mechanic of the game merging into walls as a mural is a very clever effect, but also a profound statement of how a 3D Zelda changes the entire perspective of the game in ways a pixel-based 2D Zelda never could. It pays homage to A Link to the Past, but asserts itself as a fresh new take on what Zelda is today. I remember the last boss fight being brutally difficult compared to other battles, but the way you finally defeat Yuga was a great way of capping off the game. All these great parts are why I feel bothered about other things bringing the game down. I think I have to start with difficulty. I don't like men mentioning this because there's a sect of gamers out there with a get good mentality that games need to be hard or challenging, otherwise they don't give you as meaningful an experience. I think that's extremely narrow-minded. The significance of challenge in a game comes down to the way it's designed. We should be asking, does the enjoyment of a particular game rely on its ability to demand a higher level of effort from the player? I think difficulty is a hard balance to reach between challenging the player versus alienating those who just want to play through a game. That said, I found the entirety of the game, mostly the dungeon puzzles, to be incredibly easy. I played through the game on autopilot because the puzzles never required me to invest much, if any, mental effort. I wouldn't be bothered if I didn't feel that the fun of Zelda is in its puzzle design. I think this could be a consequence of the open world no longer having a difficulty curve, since the developers could never predict which dungeon you would enter next. My guess is that Nintendo wants to make the game more approachable for a younger audience. I wish there were a way to please both newcomers and veterans in this respect. There are other issues I had too, like the wall merging, which works as an incredible shift in 3D perspective in the context of a top-down experience, but doesn't feel much more than a wall shimmy nowadays when 3D perspective is so commonplace. Also, Yuga was just not a compelling villain, feeling a bit too similar to Ganondorf. Mostly though, my personal disappointment lies in puzzle design which didn't land for me. Even at its worst, A Link Between Worlds is still a Zelda game with the core features I know and love. Anyone with a 3DS should give it a shot. Despite the issues I had, I look forward to revisiting this title again. So yeah, some interesting uh, thoughts. We're not the only ones with some of these uh, slight uh, caveats. Buskalili from the forum says, Generally, I've always been more fond of the 3D Zeldas than their 2D counterparts. Linked to the Past and the NES originals felt to me like they were straining to capture the grandeur and world that later games finally delivered on. Link Between Worlds never felt that way to me. It was slick and immensely playable. This was the puzzling and exploration of Zelda stripped back to a very pure, almost arcade experience. It didn't have sound visuals or characters that will stay with me like some of the home console masterpieces, but at the mechanical level, this was probably the most fun I ever had with a Zelda game. I'd suggest headphones next time, Buskalili. <laughs> Suits, briefly from the forum, says, I was taken aback about how much I enjoyed this game. It was one of the most recent games that I've had the can't-put-it-down syndrome with. This is one of my favourite Zeldas, although it's personally hard to separate it from Link to the Past. Perhaps a little too hard to give a true, fair personal reflection as a standalone title, as Link to the Past is one of my all-time favourite games. And Nick Bowman from the forum says, If I were to review A Link Between Worlds in three words, I'd say this, remake done right. Although labelling the game as a remake is in danger of missing the point entirely. Yes, the other world is pretty much the same as its SNES or SNES counterpart, but structurally The Legend of Zelda hasn't diverged so much in years. Rather than working through a linear progression of dungeons that can only be completed through use of a specific item found inside, items can now be acquired in any order 
via Ravio's shop. Dungeons are no longer tied down to a single item and for the most part can be approached in any order, giving you complete freedom over how you tackle the game. Talking of Hyrule Field, in my opinion, there simply hasn't been a better designed overworld in a Zelda game. A Link Between Worlds Hyrule is bursting at the seams with secrets. Never has Hyrule Field felt so engaging and finely crafted with exploration exquisitely rewarded. A Link Between Worlds is linking between the old Zelda we know and love and the fresh, exciting future of the franchise that Breath of the Wild promises. This was written a few weeks ago. Finally, from the forum, Andrew Brown, the ever-reliable A Link between Worlds is a culmination, taking where the series began and showing where it's going towards linearity and a guided authorial experience and then away from it, empowering the player to make their own choices of the when, where and why. You hit the dark world, I mean low rule, and you are thrust out to do the remaining dungeons in almost any order you like. After the patronising Skyward Sword, this is a refreshing return to the first non-linear entry and it portended where Breath of the Wild would be headed. In a series fraught with formula and imperiled by repetition, this entry provides the needed tweaks while still honouring its predecessors. Could it have been better if it made an entirely new environment to play with Link's new toys instead of bootstrapping them onto old real estate? Perhaps. Nevertheless, the series was given a rejuvenation. But maybe even that is not what Zelda needs. Maybe the series needs to quit looking backwards and start looking forwards. Breath of the Wild feels like a fulfilment of that idea. If A Link Between Worlds proves to be the last traditional Zelda game, then it will be a worthy swan song to that legacy. It's a distillation of some of the best stuff in the series, but with just a hint of the future to keep things moving forward. Thank you, everybody. In a break from recent podcasts, we actually have some three-word reviews. Gary Casey says, second favourite Zelda. Ben Williams says, pay to win. Busker Lily says tight, streamlined action. Paul Curran, modernising the formula. Andy Corrigan says nostalgic yet innovative. Sam Worms, fresh yet familiar. Angry Zeus Gaming says amazing link hieroglyphic. Timonic, I'm Wallmaster now. Nate Clark, squeaky hermit crabs. Eric Adalma, long bathroom breaks. <laughs> oh, yeah. And finally, James McCall, classic Zelda adventure. Follow us at Kane and Rince on Twitter and look out for the CRTWR hashtag on recording days. Hmm. So we must summarize in this our final for now. Of course, we will do Breath of the Wild in the future. Unless the cataclysm comes. Calamity Ganon. Uh, so I'll go first because I put myself first because I wasn't sure if I would be the most negative. I'm not sure. Uh, I really, really like A Link Between Worlds a lot, but I do have some misgivings about it. I don't think that the changes that were made to the formula are necessarily all positive ones. I think taking the mystery and challenge away from getting hold of items and exploring the world is not necessarily what I wanted from a Zelda. It clearly is for some people. I know, like our Carl, I've said it three times now, Carl. This is Carl's favourite Zelda. Uh, and I know he's not alone in that. Uh, and I think a lot of that is to do with the changes that it makes from the traditional Zelda formula. I would definitely recommend people play this ahead of, say, the two 
previous DS entries. I would probably even rate it above the Minish Cap and the Oracles games. So I guess that makes it my one of my favourite handheld Zeldas, along with Link's Awakening. Main issue is, would I recommend people play, play A Link to the Past first or second? <laughs> like, I think you should play... A link to the past before you play Link to the Past 2, <laughs> as this is effectively, because that's the right order to play them in. And also, I think it might be harder to go back. And I know some of our panel here have to the to a place where things were more oblique, more obscure, perhaps more difficult, certainly than the default difficulty level. And also to go back to the 16-bit sounds rather than the uh, absolutely wonderful remixed versions of the audio might be disappointing um, but the others have a different take on this anyway it's a really cool handheld Zelda game uh, but I don't think that some of the changes they made were absolutely like what the series needed or certainly not from my perspective anyway James um as for the order to tackle in, I, I, I don't see how I can recommend someone play this before Link to the Past. I mean, it, it's easier, so it might be a, a nice starting point for a young kid who's just coming to to Zelda. But I, th I, th I think it would be very strange um, to to tackle this one first, given for for me how much it's all wrapped up in nostalgia for Link to the Past, and there are callbacks there. There are specific choices that are made in this game to subvert what what your expectations are based on having played Link to the Past. Um, I I think it's it's interesting, and and I was uh, perfectly happy with the changes they made to the progression system, but that's. I just like the sense of experimentation. I don't necessarily think that they they all paid off. Um, as I mentioned, there are there are problems with that that result in other changes, you know, knock on effects to the rest of the game, uh, with having the rental system. Um, but my overwhelming feeling for the five six days I spent playing this almost nonstop um, was joy at, at revisiting the world of A Link to the Past um, and the familiarity the stuff that was different playing around with the new mechanic of hopping onto walls uh, just gave, pardon the pun gave the dungeons an extra dimension um, and and that nostalgia was was 20 years in the making it, it, I, I therefore find it very difficult to to not be incredibly positive about this game. But it's not a link to the past. That's still going to remain my favourite Zelda. Um, certainly at this point, not having had time to ruminate on Breath of the Wild, um, th this game succeeds by virtue of following on from Link to the Past for me. Mm. Josh, fight us, if you want. <laughs> So on a on a base level, so in terms of game feel, in terms of um, the game design, the the layout of the temples, I think 
I think A Link Between Worlds is phenomenal. I think in those key categories, it just it feels so good to just interact with the world, fight enemies, solve puzzles, and, and there's not a weak temple in the entire game. I think on, on if we're judging it by those standards, it's it's a re- it's a really strong entry in the series. However, it, I, and I feel like uh, I'm going to bring Dark Souls up again. Uh, apologies, but I kind of feel about I I, I kind of feel the same way about this game as I do about Dark Souls Two and Dark Souls Three. In that viewed in isolation, both those games are fantastic. But they are living in under the shadow of the original Dark Souls, and I feel like this game is living under the shadow of A Link to the Past. And I'm saying that having, you know, being somebody who who played this game first and then moved on to A Link to yeah, the Past, I feel like mm. I feel like A Link to the Past. There's something indefinably special about that game, even as somebody who came to it late. Like that, like I think that game's. A masterpiece. It's it's just an incredible game, and one of the high points of you know covering um, this you know this series of games for this podcast is finally getting round to completing that particular game. Yeah, and yeah. So if if you know if I was to rank the games that um, I've played for this series, I, I'm pretty sure Link, A Link Between Worlds would be high up there. It's definitely higher than both the DS entries. Um, I think even though like aesthetically Minish Cap is more pleasing to me, I still it probably is stronger than that game. But because it's so cl- closely tied to a game that I think is just as close to perfect as the series has gotten. Um, yeah, it, it just it's impossible not to compare it to that game. So, yeah, I highly recommend A Link Between Worlds, but do make sure you play A Link to the Past as well. Particularly uh, the NTSC version, because if, if you do have issues with the... Uh We've linked to the past feeling stodgy. In many cases, it was because the the PAL version was the one that was widely available in Europe. Just just putting that in there. But you can now play it at full speed on uh, on new 3DS. Mm. Leah, so uh, I'd just like to say you're a fraud. You ha- you have a Triforce tattoo, but you've played oh, 70 man. hours of, of Final Fantasy 15 and no Breath of the Wild. However, I'm, I'm up I'm to s- like 80 something actually. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, I do have I do have my collector's edition of Breath of the Wild. I just don't have a a, a, a um, Switch yet, so I'm working on it. It's all right. I'm I'm just teasing you, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I like you enough. I'm gonna let you have the final word on the last. Well, not quite the final word. The last meaningful words on this uh, on this lengthy series of podcasts about the Legend of Zelda we've done. No pressure. So, I I really like a link between worlds, and I I think that it is. Uh, I'm not sure that it's my favorite handheld Zelda, but it's it's definitely up there. It is um, it is definitely up there. Um, however. I don't know how I would feel if I had the nostalgia for A Link to the Past that Leon and James, you both have, having played it um, closer to when it actually released. Uh, I did play it before, but I did not play it that long ago, so it wasn't really in my kind of formative gaming years. It wasn't... I didn't have that... um, 
that level of uh, reverence kind of for that particular title coming into this one that is a sequel. Um, and in some ways, I, I agree with um, with one of our correspondents who said that it's almost a remake in some ways. Um, and I, I think that it does a great job. Um, but I do agree with Josh that I think you need to play both of them. Um, now, I would say play Link to the Past first. Um, I, I just, I think that I think that just feels right. Um, but even if you do play them the other way around, I think that you need to play them both just to kind of get how they're interconnected and how how they worked with that same formula, but kind of twisted it and, and made it different. Um, and whether that is a good difference or a bad difference is kind of a... Um, a subjective thing. I, I think that there are definitely elements of both, and we've we've gone into that in some detail. Um, but I, I think this is definitely worth playing. I think that if you have access to it, um, that you should pick it up. Um, just like I said, make sure you do both of them because uh, they're both very good games and um, and both worth playing. Well, there we have it. We have done what we set out to do. Almost Nintendo scuppered us slightly with their. Uh, with their delays for Breath of the Wild, but uh, we'll be back, no doubt, once that game has settled and we'll see if there's a backlash to it. I've already seen little hints of, of a backlash in certain quarters, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're enjoying it uh, over here at Cana Rince. I'll tell you that much. That's as close you're gonna, as you're going to get to a Cana Rince hot take. Uh, so it just remains for me, Leon, to thank James, Josh and Leah, as well as our correspondents, editor Sean, and to all of you for listening. To tell you that next time, in issue 262, Kane and Rince returns to Bizarre Creations Arcade Come Sim Racer hybrid series with a show all about Project Gotham Racing and Project Gotham Racing 2. 